0: Easter series. Um, We have entitled this Risen. Everything that we are doing and everything that we've been talking about is pushing toward next Sunday morning as we look at uh, the resurrection and what that means for us and what that means for our faith. Uh, If you have uh, been here over the last couple of weeks, you know we've talked about a couple of different things. We've been going through this idea that it's been. introduced through the new movie, uh, Case for Christ, which is not a new book. I talked about that. We've we've been kind of looking at some of the evidences placed forth inside that book that proves some things to us. The first week we looked at uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we talked about how they are really an authentic, true, accurate description of historical and biblical fact, right? We pointed all the way through all the different evidences of those. Last week we looked at the person of Jesus, and we looked at how the claims that he made about himself. We looked about how the Old Testament prophecies all pointed to him. Remember, I gave you some incredible numbers last week talking about if, if the odds of one person fulfilling eight of the Old Testament prophecies was one in 100 million billion. Uh, and that's a ridiculous number. Uh, that's 10 to the 157th power. While I was on stage uh, last week, uh, Hank Wharton texted me. Uh, and, and I didn't get it till after I got off stage and he had said that uh, statisticians and mathemat- mathematicians say that any number over 10 to the 34th power is a statistically impossible number. And I, I read that and I just thought, well, that's that's great. One in eight is one to the 157th power. We looked at one in, I think, a, what was it, one in 48, and it was one in a trillion, 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 like 13 different trillions behind it. Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecy, which is an incredible um, fact that points straight to that no one could be Jesus but Jesus, right? We said that last week. And so this week... What we're going to do is we're going to look at a little bit more difficult of a topic. This week's going to be a little more medical in terminology. It's going to involve some reality, realities, and today's topic will answer the question, did Jesus really die on the cross? There's a couple of different arguments against that fact. Um, the first of which I talked a little bit about last week is this idea of the swoon theory. and This is... Uh, basically saying that Jesus, from his exhaustion and his personal anguish, uh, passed out on the cross, did not die, but rather was taken down, placed in a tomb, and three days later kind of came back to consciousness. Um, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but that's, that's one theory. Another theory is the drugged theory that when Jesus said, and I believe it's Mark chapter, I got it written down, Mark chapter 15, when he says, I thirst on the cross, right, remember that? And the soldiers raised to him a sponge filled with uh, vinegar. Uh, They say that in that sponge was some sort of drug that made him go into a death-like state, but not death. And they got him down off the cross, and three days later, he woke back up. And another theory is that Pilate was bribed by the Holy Grail, right? I think about Man- Monty Python. He was bri- bribed with a, the with a Holy Grail to, to take Jesus off the cross early. Because you read the scriptures, there's a part where it says Pilate was surprised that he passed as fast as he did. And so they, he took him off the cross early. They put him in the tomb. A couple of days later, he woke back up. And he went off to Egypt and married the priestess Isis. And I googled the priestess Isis this last week. Um, She is the longest worshipped female deity in the world. Uh, Essentially, she goes by a lot of different names, but the easiest one that we can come up with is Mother Earth. And so Jesus and Mother Earth ran off together and lived a long, prosperous life in Egypt. There are still people that worship uh, Prince Priestess Isis. Uh, today there's a church in California, a bunch of hippy dippy weirdos out there and they uh, they get together and worship. That's probably, it's incorrect, I'm sorry. Um, it's very insensitive of myself. Uh, they get together and worship Mother Earth and I just, I, I watched a couple of videos of, of them this week and I just thought, oh, these people need Jesus so bad. And there's no, there's no proof that none of that ever happened. And the biggest really, the biggest counter proof to that is what we're gonna look about in here just the next couple of minutes the fact that the people who say that Jesus did not die on the cross do not say that he didn't show himself to other people they're saying that he didn't die on a cross that's why he was able to be seen afterwards he just came back from a death-like state or maybe he just woke up from being unconscious or he was in some kind of coma status. The biggest argument for the death of Jesus on the cross is his appearance afterward. And you go, that that doesn't make any sense. If he died, how is he going to appear later? Here's what Here's what the the argument is, and and this is kind of a big overview, pullback thought. If Jesus did not die on the cross, then the the flogging and the crucifixion, and what we're going to see today of how awful those things were, would have probably put him in a medical condition that would have required him to be in what would be our ICU for months but what we read in scripture is when he showed up he showed up with the piercings but completely well he showed up with all authority and all ability to walk around to converse to teach to to walk on the beach. Remember where the disciples were in the boat? If Jesus did not die on the cross, then this mutilated man would not have inspired a religious revolution. He would not have instilled much hope or faith in the men that he showed himself to. See, the people who say Jesus didn't die, they don't refute that he showed himself. They just say that he just didn't die. What we're going to look at today is heavy. What we're going to look at today is graphic. But it's exactly what happened in Scripture. We're going to look at a couple of different um, events that led up to the fact that Jesus was dead. He did die. And all arrows point... To that this morning. If you've got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 is where we'll start. <clears throat> Many of you will recognize this scene as it is painted for us in Luke. It says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a this is a a point where people say this is is kind of an impossibility. This doesn't happen. Actually medically documented it is called hematrodosis. Hematrodosis. Essentially what happens here is it's a very rare condition that happens only associated with high levels of anxiety and stress. Where chemicals In uh, your body, break down the capillaries in your sweat glands. As a result, there's a small amount of bleeding into your sweat glands. Not a lot. But when sweat comes out, it's tinged red with blood. Luke was Paul's doctor. I love that Luke writes about this. And and, and a, a thing that he really couldn't even understand in the moment because this condition really wasn't even documented at that point. But he says he sweat drops of blood because he was so in anguish over what was about to happen. The side effect of this condition is that the skin was very, very sensitive, very, very fragile. Jesus, in the moments before he was captured and taken by the mob, prayed this incredible prayer of. God, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will. Why did he pray that? Because he knew what was about to happen. So we talk about Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. He was not unaware of what a Roman crucifixion would involve. He was not ignorant to the fact that it was going to be probably the worst and most excruciating thing he'd ever felt in his life, and he was a little worried about it. He was a little nervous about it, but he, being God, knew that this was the ultimate plan and knew that this was the only way that he could bring salvation to us and in his anxiety and in his worry. He, he literally sweat drops of blood. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse 22. We read this at Easter, and we don't always understand the gravity of this passage, Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-two. What shall I do then with this Jesus called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere. But an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's on, it is now your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. Yet Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I've probably read this a thousand times. Pilate's unwillingness to stand up to the crowd against the religious leaders. The crowd's continual chant of crucify him. And I think, how? How could this happen? How could this man who, who did nothing but preach love be so hated? If Pilate would have stood up, if the disciples would have manufactured some rescue plan, or if Jesus would have just been Jesus and put an end to all of it, but I, I've come to realize that we're all pilot. We all at some point in our life wash our hands of the responsibility of Jesus. We say things like, it's too com- uncomfortable to talk about. I don't want to upset anybody by bringing religion into a conversation. I don't know how or what to say. So I just, I'm just not going to say anything at all, I'm just going to live my life, not hurt anybody. I'm going to do me and I'm going to do what I want to do. And at one point or the other, we're really just washing our hands of the responsibility of Jesus. Listen, my, we've been out working in the yard this week and getting the front yard cleaned up and it's been a chore. We've been out for days and days and days. And Birdie and Jackson have kind of been our runners. Go to the garage and get this. Go to the tool room and get this. Go to get this shovel, go get this rake. whatever. And Brody comes back around the corner of the house and he says, hey, you know that boy that lives down at the end of the road? I said, no. He said, well, I just invited him to church. I said, well, why'd you do that? He said, well, I just figured I, sh- I should do that. I said, well, what'd you say to him? So I just looked at him and said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, no. And he said, well, I'd like to invite you to Manual Baptist Church, 701 West Pine Street, Warren, Arkansas. And I went, how do you know the church's address? And he said, I just, I just did, Dad. I said, well, bro, that's awesome. Dude, that is so cool. And I said, you know what? And he said, what? I said, some adults could learn from your example. I said, was that hard? He goes, no. I said, thanks. I'm probably going to talk about that. Is it hard? No. Is it uncomfortable? Maybe for you. But when we have these opportunities and we just kind of gloss right over them and we go, oh, I don't want I don't, I to do that. I don't, don't want to. That's too much. You're just, you're just washing your hands by your actions, by your lack of action, by your words or your lack of words. All too often we stand up and we, we play the role of pilot and say, I don't want this responsibility. And then I read that... Last little sentence, he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Most of us don't have a good understanding of what a Roman flogging is. We've winced through the scenes of the Passion of the Christ. We, we see that, and, and I remember watching it for the first time in a theater, and I was, I was just, just so angry, I just wanted it to stop. What you don't know is that what we saw in that cut of the movie was edited multiple times. first cut went before the reviewers, and they said it's too graphic, it's too violent, it's too gruesome. No one will watch that. You need to to edit it. And Mel Gibson, the director's response was, I already have. The Roman flogging was normally 39 lashes, but typically went much more depending on the mood of the soldier inflicting it. They used a leather whip braided with metal round balls and sharp pieces of bone. As you were hit with the, with the whip, the balls would cause incredibly deep bruises that would then break open with repeated hits. The, the bone would shred the victim's back. For most of the time, by halfway through, the spine was visible. The sufferer's veins were laid bare. The very muscles and sinews and bowels of the victim could be seen. They would start the whipping up at your shoulders and go all the way down your back all the way down the back of your legs. When you were done, you could see your internal organs from the back of the person. Most people who were flogged died before they ever were crucified. They suffered from a condition called hypovolemic shock. Hypo meaning low, vol meaning volume, and emic meaning blood. Low volume blood. You're literally bleeding to death. The after effects of this hypovolemic shock is that your heart races to pump blood that's not there. Your blood pressure drops, causing you to faint and collapse. Your kidneys shut down. It's not producing urine because it's trying to hang on to any kind of fluid that it can. And the sufferer becomes incredibly thirsty, trying to replace body fluids as quickly as possible. The flogging in itself is a death sentence. We see these things played out. We continue to read the scripture. Jesus being forced to carry his cross collapses, not able to bear bear the weight of the cross beam. We see him on the cross cry out, I'm thirsty. His body was beginning to shut down before he ever was nailed to the cross. That was just the flogging. then he hands him over to be crucified. See, Romans were experts at death. They'd stretch your arms out and place a five to seven inch spike through your wrists. Not through your palms. Your palms would rip through. In the language of... Jesus time the wrist was a part of the hand so when the bible says he put it in his hands it was it was really most likely the wrist the problem with your wrist is that the median nerve runs through your wrist this is the main nerve that that produces all feeling and, and tactile function within your hand um and it was crushed with the spike the, the only way that we can really describe this is whenever you you, know, you hit your funny bone that's your ulna nerve okay When you hit your funny bone, it just it just hurts. Like it it hurts and it does it's not funny, right? And imagine taking that nerve and the book and the doctor going through this just said, take take that nerve and grab it with an imaginary pair of pliers and squeeze it and twist it until it snaps. And that's what you feel when your median nerve is crushed. When hung vertically, the victim's arms automatically dislocate from their shoulders, stretching their body about six inches. This is a slow death from asphyxiation. Essentially, you suffocate to death. To exhale, because of the body position, your diaphragm is is in the inhaled position at all times. To exhale, you have to pull up and push up against the nail in your foot and the nails in your wrists with your dislocated shoulders to breathe. To (sighs) you slide back down the cross and inhale over and over and over scraping you're already mutilated back against a very rough wooden cross many times if death took too long soldiers would come across and break the legs of the victim making it even more difficult to pull up to breathe because of this hypovolemic shock your heart would race and you essentially have heart failure. Um, pericardial infusion would happen, which is essentially a collection of fluid around the membrane in your heart. Plural effusion would happen, which is a collection of fluid in your lungs. That's why when we read scripture and it talks about how the, the Roman guard came up and he, he pierced Jesus' side, it said blood and water flowed out. That was this collection of fluid around the heart and lung of Jesus. They didn't have a word to describe crucifixion. They didn't have a word to describe the pain of a crucifixion, so they'd make up one. Excruciating literally translates, out of the cross. A new word for a death so painful that pain did not do it justice when Jesus died on the cross he died one of the most incredible proofs of that is is that if a prisoner were to escape the Roman guard in charge of him would pay with his own life the guards unseen had incredible initiative to make sure, incredible incentive to make sure that Jesus was dead. If the flogging didn't kill him, and the blood loss didn't kill him, and the crucifixion didn't kill him, then the stabbing and the piercing of his heart would have. make no mistake church when they took Jesus off the cross he was dead which begs the question why why did he have to die why did he have to go through all that he went through Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness This goes back to Levitical law. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, For the life of a creature is in its blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. You see, because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his giving of his life, we have forgiveness. We have atonement. This idea of at-one-ment, atonement. That we are able able to be at one with God the Father. See, we can't save ourselves. We can't do anything or say anything or do any kind of religious act enough to save ourselves. We are completely deprived. And from the beginning, from before the beginning of all creation, God knew that there would have to be a plan to redeem the people. We talk about the Old Testament law. How God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Ten incredible Rules to live by. The Jewish community took that and made hundreds of extra rules on top of it. But if we just narrow it down to just the ten, how many times do we break just those ten? You may not murder or you may not steal. How many times do you break just the first two? We are incapable of being good enough on our own. From the beginning, we needed a sacrifice. We needed blood to be shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'll do it. I'll take their place. I'll provide an ultimate sacrifice. I will love them enough to do it. Jesus had to die on a cross because we needed a Savior. And so, what I want to do today to close is I just want to simply read Matthew 27. Starting with verse 27. A passage of scripture that we are familiar with. but shows the full extent of Christ's love for us. Let's read together. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium. Gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the school. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And setting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped on insults on him. From noon Until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this. He said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, and rocks split, and tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. See, church, the the veil that tore open was the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the court. The Holy of Holies, the one place that the high priest would go in once a year and make atonement for the sin of Israel. He was the only one allowed in. Because the very presence of God was there. And when Jesus died, that veil tore from top to bottom. Signifying that we have full access to God the Father. That because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, we don't have to go through a high priest anymore. You don't have to come and and confess your sins to me. I don't don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I don't want to know that. That's between you and God the Father because you have direct access to him. Jesus' death on a cross was something that we read about once a year. And we skim over it because we've heard it a thousand times. But it's never to be taken lightly. It's never to be flippantly read or glossed over as if it was not the worst scenario that life could have thrown. But see, his worst became our best. His suffering became our redemption. His pain became our forgiveness. As we move into this week before the crucifixion, as we move into this week before the resurrection, we have to stop. We have to recognize the price that was paid for our sin. Church, this was no easy task. The God of the universe hung on a cross that He could have very easily just came down from. But love held Him there. Love for you Love for me, love held him on the cross. Hey, this is Matt Operall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. We'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.